welcome everyone to our event today, Turn Up, Maximising the Youth Vote. My name is Khadija Saeed, I'm from Web Roots Democracy, um, and I'm so pleased to be joined today by an excellent lineup of speakers. Um, so first up, we've got Abena Apong Asari, who is a Labour MP and the Shadow Exchequer Secretary. We've also got Mete Choban, who is the CEO of My Life, My Say, and Rachel Farrington, who is the founder of Voting Counts, and we'll hear a little bit more about those organisations in just a bit. Um, but first up, uh, today's event is part of the Web Roots Democracy Festival, which is a series of um, incredible events lined up this week. Um, today's the third day of events. Um, and it's basically marking the end of the organization's six and a half amazing years um, in the field. Uh, and uh, so if you're following today's event and you'd like to tweet about it, you're having fun, then please use hashtag WebRootsFest and also tag WebRootsDemocracy so we can see it. And if you're following us on Zoom or Facebook Live, then please feel free to send questions throughout today's discussion so that we can put them forward to our panelists towards the end. So. Without further ado, I'll start off with my first question for you all. Um, so we all count as youth here. <laughs> and I think something that's really like interesting is that when people talk about youth engagement and there's youth on the panel, they always talk about like the youth that they work with and never themselves. Um, so I'm really keen to know more about you and your story. What got you involved into politics? What was your political moment? Um, and then after that, you know, what kind of inspired you to then pave the way for more young people to get involved in politics. Um, and I'll start off with Mete, who I know was elected as councillor at 21. Um, so yeah, start us off. Thank you, Khadija, and thank you to Webrits Democracy for um, inviting me today. Um, it's great to be on a panel with Rachel and Abena, two people which I very respect and I know I've done a lot of work around sort of uh, youth engagement and sort of uh, vote registration over the years as well. So I'm very sort of honored to be sort of uh, speaking along, alongside them. Um, I think for me, um, Khadija, I think what was, you know, being from where I'm from in Hackney, um, and for those of you who don't know Hackney, it's a very sort of uh, deprived borough. Um, I felt very neglected um, in many ways, as many other young people did. Um, a lot of young people didn't have a voice. Um, our school education system was really, really bad. Um, and all of those sort of uh, factors really contributed to sort of politicizing me at a very young age. Um, and I was really passionate about making sure that those who look and sound like me, who just felt like, you know, politicians didn't really care about us or didn't really care about people uh, like me and where I was from, um, had a voice. Um, so in the end, um, you know, I was campaigning a lot around lots of different issues. Um, and in the end, I just thought, rather than sitting and complain about these things, it's better to sort of be in it to solve it rather than try to, um, to actually just talk about it continuously. So I founded uh, My Life, My Say when I was a student at university and the whole aim was to kind of create a space for young people to talk about issues without necessarily feeling the need to attach themselves to a political party. And obviously that's grown from strength to strength. And now that's obviously my full-time uh, sort of day-to-day -day job. Um, and of course, as you mentioned, I obviously got elected um, about seven years ago now uh, as a councillor. It feels like a long time ago. Um, but back then, I guess, you know, it was just very much, you know, I was just, you know, very fearless as a young person. Um, I knew what I wanted. I wanted to represent my area. When I looked at the average age of councillors in the UK, it was shocking. It was 66. Um, and I just felt like, how can it be that, you know, we, we live in a representative democracy, but uh, young people are not uh, represented within that and clearly there was an appetite you know a lot of young people felt cheated by the tuition fees just a couple of years before I got elected um, so I felt like it was important for me to, to stand and to be a voice for them so yeah and that's obviously where I find myself now. Great I mean that's so inspiring and, and what you're saying about the average age of being 66 which is I think I think a lot of us can say that we've been the youngest person in the room um, a lot of the time. Um, so yeah, Rachel, tell us tell us about your story. Yeah, so um, I like my parents weren't polit very political. I um, did lot watch a lot of like things like Have I Got News for You with my dad on a Friday night, but nothing really beyond that. Just kept in touch with the news, that kind of thing. But wasn't massively raised political. My parents um, just always said that. Um, it's important to vote. They used to take me down to the polling station when they would go. So from a young age, I was kind of introduced to voting. Um, but it was when I went to college and I picked um, government and politics as an A-level and absolutely loved it, just really enjoyed the subject and found it really engaging. But 
there was only kind of like 12 or 13 people in my class and the rest of um, my college weren't getting any political education whatsoever. So I quickly became known as like the politics nerd at school and people used to come to me and ask me questions about elections coming up. So the 2014 European elections were like the first one that my age group really got involved in. And I was like, well, I have a political opinion and I know exactly what I think and all these kind of things, but I don't wanna just tell my friends how to vote or tell my friends why they should be voting. I want them to make their own decisions. So I effectively kind of built this website that just had a list of reasons why voting was important on it. And then kind of had a bit of a comparison of the political parties and tried to educate people about the upcoming elections. And then it grew and grew and grew and now we've got a really fantastic website um, that has so much information about all the different elections and has contributors from across the political spectrum and across the age spectrum as well. We really focus on young people, but I find that not just young people get involved in the website. We have everyone kind of enjoys it and we um, obviously peek around elections, get very busy and um, do lots of projects and media and promoting voter registration in schools with posters, etc. But yeah, it's been a really fun journey, but I would say it was it was the um, the the idea was behind it that I didn't I wanted people to make their own decisions and have the information they needed to do that. Brilliant. That's so inspiring. And um, you do tell us that you can get those posters online on your website. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And Abena, you were recently elected into Parliament. Congrats. Um, and I also know that you're the first British Ghanaian with Bell. Uh, to be elected into parliament um, so it's a really exciting time for you I'm sure so tell us more about your journey into parliament. Yeah thank you um, so I didn't actually plan to um, be an MP um, I thought I'd start with my journey into politics so um, I um, like Rachel and Mese didn't come from a political background either um, so um, my parents are from the NHS and I think they would have liked me to be a doctor or a lawyer um traditional African parents um and essentially um I kind of stumbled into politics by accident through um a family friend of ours like someone a neighbor who was a teacher who um took me to party fundraisers which I didn't know much about and then um I started to become active in the Labour Party actually before I actually became a party member um, because um, I didn't really know much about political processes because no one really kind of told me about it. But initially, um, like Rachel, I studied my degree in politics and international relations. And actually, um, like there were some aspects that I enjoyed, but I was more interested in the international relations stuff. So yeah. I went to, um, I started to do my master's in international law with international relations. And I originally wanted to go into human rights um, that was something that I was kind of really interested in, particularly in terms of looking at stuff related to FGM, international kind of conflict. Um, but I found it really difficult to kind of go into that kind of sphere because you kind of needed to have like financial kind of money to do those internships um, internationally. Um, I remember going to a careers advisor actually um, to find out more about um, what I could do in relation to my degree in terms of job opportunities. And I wanted to know more about working for an MP. And he actually um, laughed in my face and said, the chances of someone like me getting a job in politics would be very slim, um, in parliament would be very slim and not to even bother trying. And um, I, I remember asking to see um, if I could read more about what the processes were to get into it. And he wasn't really particularly forthcoming to the point he said, you can just go and look at those um, like documents over there, but it's not really like, there's no point, like <laughs> you're not gonna get um, a job in that field. And he was right, statistically, you don't really see um, individuals like me um, in politics. But the thing is though, he kind of ripped me off and he, he didn't really know me. Um, and that kind of really kind of annoyed me. It did knock my confidence a lot actually. Um, and I remember my dad saying to me like, what does this person know? He doesn't know anything about you. Um, and what's the worst that could happen if you were to try and go for it, you would you know, get a rejection. So um, I ended up actually um, like writing to people like Valerie Amos, who was the leader of the House of Lords, the first black leader of the House of Lords. And I, um, it was a really eye opening in terms of getting experience with her. 
understand how things work. And I think when you see people like those in those kind of fields, it makes you think actually um, there is space for you in that kind of kind of remit. Um, I remember I worked for um, Diane Abbott and Joan Ruddock, and I remember it was a bit of a culture shock um, when I went into Parliament, how undiverse it was. Um, and even like, um, I just didn't feel that everyone tends to focus more on MPs in terms of diversity, but they really look at like the stuff um, behind the scenes, which I think is particularly important. Um, so anyway, I kind of like um, left, um, took some, took a bit, um, left parliament and ended up working in the civil service and voluntary sector. And then um, I had people encouraging me to stand to be a counsellor. And I was like, oh no, public speaking is my weakness. I don't really think that's kind of my bag. I like to be behind the scenes. And it actually took me quite a number of years actually before I plucked up the courage to um, put my application in. Um, and that was because a lot of people actually encouraged me to do it. Um, and I actually remember uh, it was actually quite a number of people. It was actually Tessa Jell who actually really pushed me for it and Fiona Tycross. And I remember Tessa saying, you know, what's why, why are you reluctant to do this? And I was like, oh, I don't really see someone like me public speaking. And she was like, you know, that's, that's not really the reason why you shouldn't put yourself forward. She said, you know, as a, as a politician, you'll still constantly get nervous about public speaking. And if that's something you're worried about, that's just a minor hurdle. And I was like, okay, I can't really get out of this one. Um, and so I, I'm not gonna go into the details of it because I'll go in, I'll be here for a long time, but I could talk about it another time. But there were barriers in terms of me um, standing to be a counselor, particularly as a black woman in terms of perception, um, whether this seat was the right seat for me, where I had people kind of like saying, you know, I shouldn't stand in this particular seat. But, you know, these are the kind of barriers you do face. And particularly also when you're um, a young ethnic minority, this person challenging those kind of perceptions because people don't take you that seriously. Um, and also I look a lot younger than what I, I, I am. But like these, I think that it's just so important because when I remember sitting in council and I remember seeing people so massively out of touch, people that had been councillors for 30, 40 years, they were so disconnected from what was going on on the ground. And they were so, and they were speaking about young people as if they were aliens and um, essentially kind of like troublemakers when actually I think that um, there are so many benefits that they contribute to the community. And I think they're massively just kind of overlooked um, and if you're not engaging with that particular kind of individuals from the community, you're making decisions that are um, going to shape the community in a negative way, alienating like so many people. Uh, like some of the conversations I used to hear at council, I just, I just frankly couldn't. It was like I met him, and I'm sure you were getting it. It was just frankly just quite ridiculous, like things people will make about ethnic minorities in terms of how they think or um, just like um, young people. And I'm just like, have you actually spoken to these people? Where are you getting these views from? You haven't actually consulted these people. You've just got this walked out of date view in terms of how people think. So, um, and then also with my selection last year, I'd actually taken a backseat from politics actually in 2018. I decided to retire, um, never believe anyone that says that. Um, and so I wanted to spend most of my time like working in a job that was like non-party political, just wanted to have a complete kind of change. And actually um, I was um, involved in the Labour Women's Network training women for public office. And then um, my, um, my predecessor decided she was going to step down in um, July last year and people are like, Abner, you need to go for it. And I was like, oh, the time is not great. I'm trying to take some time out from like frontline kind of politics. And they were like, this is a once, once in a lifetime opportunity. You won't get an opportunity to stand in your home seat. So I had a number of people encouraging me. Arik was one of those people. Um, and, and I thought actually, there are a number of things that used to frustrate me that I would like to change at a national level, particularly housing. Like um, when I was a councillor, most of our temporary accommodation was in Bolton and Manchester. And I was a councillor in Bexley. And I just felt the policies that we had in place were really unfair but you couldn't really change those policies as a local councillor. So um, there were things that I felt like as an MP, I would be able to 
kind of like push for those at a national level. So I ended up going for it, you know, just going through, you know, it was a tough um, um, selection, you know, just, I was like, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, is it the end of the world? Um, and I ended up actually getting selected. So yeah, I'm going to stop here. Otherwise I'll be here the whole evening talking to you about my story and I'm sure you don't want to hear all of it. So, yeah. no, thank you so much for that, Vanilla. Can I just quickly just jump in as well? Because I think yeah, like Avana's being really modest in the way she's kind of talking about her journey. But I've well, known, you know, like Arik, I've known Avana for, for a long time now. And like, you know, when they say, you know, like, you know, people who've been through it, but they just keep going and going and going and being resilient. Like Avana's story is, is that, you know, like the amount of people that would have, you know, being, firstly, being a person, being black is obviously in many ways, we know how, how, how disproportionately affected black people are, especially in terms of representation, being a woman on top of that and being young as well. Um, you know, she spoke about her journey, about her, her, her being a counselor too. Um, she was in Bexley, obviously, which is not an easy area to be a counselor for, especially for a labor counselor too. So Avon is like a prime example of someone who's faced a lot of barriers. And if she hasn't found the excuse to not get involved in politics and to actually continue pursuing that, then no one has the excuse. So I just wanted to kind of just say that oh, Abner's been very modest in the way she's talking about the challenges that she faced. She's a prime example of someone who's had to, you know, like really go up this, against the system to get to where she is. And like, we're really proud of her as, you know, like as just as ethnic minorities, as citizens, and obviously as BME people in the Labour Party too. Thank you. And also I wanted to say, Meto, thank you so much for your support, particularly during the election, coming down to support me in campaigning to keep me going so thank you for that i love this i love this this is great <laughs> no i'm so glad you mentioned that meta because i think you know when we talk about barriers and intersectionality in particular it's really important that you mentioned that abena had to face a lot of different hurdles not just being young um and i'm sure that a lot of viewers watching this as well and especially the anecdote of of the careers advisors like someone needs to have a word with them because i think we've all had really unfortunate experiences of of being told that we're not enough and that we can't you know, do do what we'd like to, to do. So speaking of barriers, I actually wanted to talk a little bit about that for our next question. Um, and I think, you know, young people have, it's always been like a bit of a buzzword in politics. Um, a lot of politicians like to talk about young people, not with young people. Um, and I think, you know, in 2017, we all heard about the youth quake in 2019. It was like the war of memes online in terms of how to capture the youth vote. Um, and it was just a lot of conversation about young people and not a lot of conversation with young people. Um, so I just wanted to hear from you on, you know, what you think the biggest barrier to youth engagement in the political process is. Uh, what is lacking, whether it's structurally, um, systemic, or whether it's apathy, from your experience, from your own um, work in this field, what would you say is the biggest barrier? Yeah. I mean, are you coming to me well, first? To jump in. <laughs> okay, um, I guess for me, there are, it's, it's very sort of multi-layered, like there are many different barriers that, um, that we face. Firstly, obviously representation that, you know, we spoke about this, you know, if you look at our political institutions, um, they don't look and sound like, uh, you know, what Britain looks like and what society looks like. And obviously we know that if you are from a certain background, if you're a female, for example, if you're a woman and you look at the, um, the parliament and it's all like, you know, dominated by men, obviously naturally you're not going to feel sort of comfortable to, to be there. And, and rightly so. It's the same thing as if you're an ethnic minority too. So I think representation uh, matters. I think particularly in terms of young people, I think it's important to note that young people do care about the issues that affect them. The problem is, is whether they see traditional forms of politics as a vehicle to address the issues that they care about. And partly the reason why they don't is, is partly because of representation, what I mentioned. The other reason why is obviously we're not educated about how democracy works. So, you know, Eric done a lot of work with this with uh, whether it's democracy, but, you know, ultimately if you can't sort of like, if you're not educated about how to make change um, and particularly for, you know, too often, even when we talk about like activism or like to be an activist or to kind of all these different things, in a way it's a privilege as well, because you know, like there are many people who I know in my community, for example, who don't even have the time to campaign for things just because they're just sort of trying to meet day-to-day -day sort of needs of their sort of like either their home and working life or they meet their family life. So I think there's, there's the financial barrier. There's obviously the barrier around education. There's the barrier around representation. There's the barrier of feeling let down by politicians, you know, for years and years and years, you know, like people just kind of coming out saying the same old things about how they're going to fix things. And then obviously they don't deliver on it. And I guess that's one of the biggest challenges that they face in the US right now. 
you know, I was just on a call just before um, this meeting. It's just that when you look at what's happening in America, you obviously had, in a way, it was a great victory for democracy because you had a huge turnout of vote, right? But then you also had, so on one, on one hand, you've got 70 odd million people who voted for Donald Trump, who the majority of them probably believe that the election is rigged and probably don't, you know, trust democracy or are skeptical around it. And then you've got the other hand where you've got for people who supported Biden, who a lot of non-voters or first-hand voters, particularly from ethnic minority backgrounds or young people who voted for Biden with huge hope in terms of like what he can deliver in the next four years. But the reality of what he can deliver in the four years is probably not going to meet their expectation. Um, and the question is, is how do you sort of like stop them from being disenfranchised and being like, oh, well, look, I voted for Biden and nothing happened or it wasn't mm. what I expected. And that, again, comes back down to education. It's, and it's, it, it comes back down to not understanding how the system works and how this sort of power struggles work. So I think, you know, in order to solve these issues, I think, you know, long term, it has to be how about how do we educate our citizens to understand um, how democracy works? But I don't mean necessarily sort of traditionally just going to schools. Um, how do we create this as a conversation? And how do we change the way in which we, as decision makers, as policymakers, talk to people as well? So like, again, you know, Abena, um, you know, I've seen, I've been following, watching your work on, on Twitter as well. And like, you know, the way in which you have those conversations with your constituents needs to be different. And our approach at My Life, My Say has always been, rather than creating a space where we bring people to us, is about identifying where people go to in their day-to-day -day social and digital lives and think about how we can connect with them in those spaces. So an example of that is the democracy cafes that we do um, with Starbucks. Um, and obviously, you know, uh, young people, Starbucks being a place where young people be, um, will go to, to to kind of socialize, not saying it's the only place, um, you know, it's, it's a way where we can break down some of those barriers, but making it more real. But ultimately, the final thing I would just say is, unless we have inspiring leaders, it doesn't matter how much work, you know, Voting Counts does, My Life, My Say does, um, Webroots Roots Democracy does, all these organizations do, we'll only help increase turnout or sort of participation to an extent. Um, what you need is you need inspiring politicians to be able to actually come out there and actually inspire, you know, millions of people to get involved. Because ultimately, when you go to vote, it's going to be the person who's pulling you to, to vote. And you see, that was the impact that Barack Obama had in, in, in the US. And unfortunately, you know, one of the big things that we're lacking uh, in the world of politics nowadays, and that's why we have so many issues, is obviously we have a huge issue around leadership. And that's why we need more normal young people to get involved in politics so that the future of uh, our political landscape uh, looks and sounds more like like us. Yeah, I would say Mete raises a lot of good points. And I think one of the really nice things about kind of this, this kind of sector, as it were, of um, all these organisations that try and help engagement and work with young people is that we're all going for the same thing. We're all trying to get people engaged, but we have all have different ways of doing it. And that's a recognition of that there is not just one fix all. Um, Mete and I both have exactly the same aim with our organizations, but we do it in different ways because we know not everyone will engage with each other's work. And I think that's one of the beauties of this, these kind of organizations is, is that, is that diversity. Um, so that's something I, I've really come across since working in this space and since trying to get people involved. And I, I think the education thing is a massive thing because people care about issues that matter to them and they're from the big ones to the small ones whether it's like really localized issues from what's happening on your street or whether it's national issues but it's about making that connection between um, that issue and a, an elected representative or a um, way of campaigning around it if you like even I struggle to understand the differences between district councils county councils borough councils so how is anyone who wants to start a campaign about their local youth center got a chance of uh, finding the right person to talk to to make that change. So it is about education, but it's also, like Meto says, about us simplifying it and making it easy because people have got a lot of stuff going on in their lives and they are passionate about issues. But if you don't make it easy for them to change and campaign and let representatives know where the issues are, nothing will ever change. Yeah, um, so I agree with um, both what Meto and Rachel have said. Um, I do think I also, uh, agree with their points that political education is really important. Um, as an MP, I've been trying to engage with young people as possible. Um, it's been particularly difficult because we're in lockdown. So I was um, going around visiting schools, um, trying to engage with, with schools to, to let them what, know what I'm doing. And actually, when I was really young, I never ever went to Parliament. 
and um, getting people to know that actually this place is for them and to the point that it's not I think we might have lost Alana. That was such. A, I knew that was going to be a good point as well. <laughs> I, I've got a point to actually build on, on hers until she gets back. I was going to say that I was really lucky. Our school, our local MP, used to come along once a month, and he didn't have to. We couldn't vote for him like we were a few years off, and that really changed our perspective. We could actually speak to our local representatives, and I think that makes all the difference. That they're coming not in a selfish way to win votes. They're coming because they generally want to listen. Yeah. No. Exactly. I mean, I remember. I mean, it was quite late, but I remember just seeing like my local MP shopping and I was so like, I was like, you shouldn't be here. Like what's going on? And I think it, it definitely does remove a lot of that barrier when these people are in your day-to-day -day life they, they and it's more normalized to see them as elected representatives and that, you know, accountability yeah. can just be in parliament. And, and social media helps that massively. Like the, the ability to just be able to contact um, your local MP is great, but it needs to be the same for kind of councillors, and as Matty says, a lot of them are like a lot older and might not engage with social media in the same way. But there's organisations doing kind of like online surgeries and all these kind of um, really innovative digital kind of communications that, but they need to be kind of accessible in a way that you know who you're talking to about the right things. So many MPs get emails about things that the council deal with and vice versa. So we need to make sure that people know where their power lies. Yeah, exactly. Did you want to add something, Matty? No, I mean, I think we've, you know. Yeah. We've gone for it, yeah. Okay. So waiting, we're going to wait for Abana to join us. But um, just until then, I thought I would shoot with the next question for you guys. Um, and just thinking about, you know, the, the impact of the pandemic and also just lessons that we can take away from the last general election. Um, we're currently in what I would say is like a COVID affected media landscape. There's a competition for attention online. And we know that young people, a significant proportion of young people um, are online and, and they, they, they conduct most of their communications and a lot of their political education online too. So I just wanted to know whether, how and, and whether there are any lessons that you can take away from the pandemic or from the general election um, uh, on, on the work that you know, needs to change or what needs to happen in future to engage uh, with more young people, especially because we're in a really unprecedented time. <laughs> I had to say it, didn't I? <laughs> I've heard that so many times since the start of lockdown. Um, yeah, I, do you want to go first? Or, and oh, I'll, no, no, no. Yeah. I, mine was just a quick one. I'll let you go. No, no, you go. I, I'll, I'll go first all the time. So you go Very first. polite, very polite. I was just going to say, I think for many people, lockdown has really brought politics home. Like to be able to see the power of what government can do in a crisis whether you agree with it or not like to be able to see the prime minister stand up and make a decision and you not be able to leave your house because of it again whether you agree with it or not that's brought politics home to a lot of people and i think it will almost make people more engaged because they want to know the people that are able to make those kind of decisions and the people that they feel represent them um yeah, I mean, what I was going to say, I would start by kind of, uh, I guess, like, knowing a bit of caution in terms of what could potentially follow sort of these these times. And what I mean by that is obviously we've seen a lot of great innovation online um, and a lot of digital engagement taking place. Um, my concern is, is is that people will see that as the answer to sort of engaging, like, you know, as, as the, you know, the sort of one-size-fits-all approach. And we'll think that just because it works well, that that's the sort of the the, the way we should continue. Um, and one of the things that I've always been really passionate about is how do we connect with people who ordinarily, like I said, you know, um, you know, one, don't see politics as a vehicle to address issues they care about. But secondly, also, I like, just don't have the time to be able to engage in, in, in politics because of their sort of their living standards. Um, and I still believe that face to face engagement is still the most effective way of engagement because nothing beats that inter human interaction where human beings and we're meant to be um, feeding off the energy from one another. Um, I do think there is a lot of great things that ha we have learned from uh, particularly sort of the US elections around sort of how we can engage uh, people in elections. Um, the last thing I want to hear is this whole idea. I think one of the things that we need to all get an understanding now is just that, yes, celebrities are useful in terms of helping support and turnout, but every single election there's always this one person in the room who's like oh i know how to get young people engaged in politics sort of thing 
why don't we get a celebrity who could just put this tweet out and then all of a sudden millions of people are going to care about politics it's not how it works um not to say that it doesn't not to say that influencers aren't important but what you also need is you need normal people who aren't celebrities um who they can relate to their friends to actually be those advocates so it's, it's going to be we, what we need to do is when you look at places like atlanta and georgia um it's not work that started a couple of months ago they've been working around voter registration and engaged political engagement since like 2016 2017 that's when they started and that as a result of it you see the results that you see um today in terms of like the turnout that you had so what we need is is really we need to this needs to be an ongoing conversation not from election to election and um, we need we need this to be um yeah ongoing so but on on the plus side one of the things that i would say has been also good from um a bit like you know just to pick up on rachel's uh point around sort of uh, bringing politics back home i think in many ways sometimes you need these big events to happen to kind of get people to think about their lives and where they're heading and what type of system we live in and you know, Brexit was one of that. It kind of politicised a generation in the UK. And I think mm -hmm. COVID certainly as well has um, politicised a generation here as well. So what I would hope is, is that we can kind of capitalise on that sort of that enthusiasm and sort of momentum where people are starting to think about their futures and then trying to use that as an opportunity to then link it to like how politics impacts that day to day. Because now they're seeing, you know, everything that Boris Johnson is making a decision on is impacting their ability to even walk out of the house. Yeah. You know, who would have ever thought that a press conference could have impacted whether you can go out to for dinner with friends or whatever it was. So they can directly see that what politicians are doing is is impacting it. But I think we've got Ab in the back, which is uh, great news. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> Hi, guys. That's my one. <laughs> it's Hi, good to have you back. So we were just talking about, um, I guess, the pandemic and lessons from the last general election as well on, um, you know, how, how we can essentially... Take away key lessons from these big events, these big moments on engaging with young people. Um, and also, like, since a lot of this work has had to move online, how has that changed the, the way that you work and how has that changed the way that you um, try and engage with more young people? Yeah, so um, I've, I've had to completely change the way I work. So before the um, COVID, I was going around meeting people face to face, building relationships with stakeholders. Now, most of my stuff has to be done virtually. I mean, I still go into Parliament. Um, <laughs> when I go to Parliament, we still have our meetings um, virtually, um, except when you go into the Chamber. Um, just, uh, I just don't understand why the virtual Parliament thing was scrapped, but that's another story. But um, I'd say that most of my engagement with schools now is done virtually. So um, it was really weird because with one of the schools last week, Friday, I did like um like a Q&A with the schools um with one of the schools and it was basically a bunch of kids all huddled in the classroom and then I was talking to them through a screen and it was really difficult to hear the kids at the back what they were asking me um to the point that I had to get the teachers to kind of like tell me what they were saying and it was really difficult I think to be kind of interactive um there's been other ones where I've met with kids not necessarily through schools but through other kind of like um like um, groups and stuff like that where they've had their own individual kind of devices but one of the things is not everyone has um, like social media or a laptop or um, um, iPads at home that I think we need to recognize that there's those kind of barriers not everyone's got like wi-fi so one of the things I was, I was saying before what I did was I um, did a survey to um, students at school basically 18 and under asking them how the lockdown was going the first wave of lockdown was going how their studies were how they were feeling men mentally a lot of a lot of the students said they found it really difficult to study um their mental health had suffered their studying had suffered so i did a school summer campaign um and one of the things that came up was um through conversations was not everyone was able to study at home through their devices so we did like um printed materials um where they could do like stuff um like um, to help them with their mental health, like activities and stuff. So had that um, handed out to, to kids to use. Um, I think that social media is a good thing, but it's also become a toxic place. I've, I'm mm. seeing a lot of like um, toxicness on social media. Um, I think a lot of people are struggling mentally, um, which is a problem. I'm trying to tap into all the kind of like um, Facebook kind of groups 
trying to up my social media kind of game on Facebook, Instagram, but I also still think that face-to-face is really important um, because no one's going to come on my, my Facebook or my social media if they don't even know who I am. So like as Mete mentioned earlier, you need to go to those spaces in terms of where people are. So we're constantly trying to um, try and identify how we can do that. I constantly write to the schools on a regular basis to try and engage them at a first point. Um, I've also been trying to do stakeholder engagement mapping as well across the constituency like there's things like various like youth environment groups the various like there's active horizons trying to tap into those kind of networks as possible um, to try and get through because there's different things are there for different people. I think um, with the pandemic um, I'm probably going to get a little bit political now but I don't feel the government has engaged with young people I don't think they've engaged with women as well, a session. They, uh, um, you can see it in terms of the policy decisions that are being made. How come like um, like barbers and um, hairdressers were able to open and a lot of beauty places took a while to kind of open. And that that's what happens when you don't have diverse decision um, makers at the table. You're not engaging with diverse stakeholders. Um, and so that's what, you know, the whole A-levels and GCSE fiasco a lot of schools, a lot of children had been calling for this, um, that, that highlighting their concerns about the centre assessed grades. Um, and um, I'd highlighted this months before the government. And I remember students also contacting me as well about universities, what they were going to do during the pandemic. And it wasn't even on the government's radar. Right now, um, we're, we're looking at things uh, impact in schools and universities and it's not high on the government's agenda and that's because I feel that young people aren't being brought into the equation and their voices aren't heard. Um, I know I've kind of gone off point here a bit so. I, I've probably got something to, to build on both of what Matty and Abina have said. I think I, I completely agree with everything they said around uh, social media isn't the answer to everything but I have found through the pandemic that um, events like this have been more accessible to people all over the country. I think naturally, and I'm completely guilty of it myself, living in London, everything ends up being London focused. And I've spoken to a couple of organizations working in the space and they said that for the first time they've been able to hold events in Wales and have people from Scotland joining into their events. And I think in terms of thinking back to the barriers question we had earlier, um, it has opened those networks up a bit more. People are more, those who do have access to those kind of things are more able to engage in decision-making and events and discussions that they might not always have had access to because unfortunately we live in a quite a London-centric country, especially in the political space. For sure. Um, and I'm so glad the Abena that you touched on um, kind of problems with access. I think that's something that's really important because a lot of these conversations around engaging with youth is um, very like techno utopian and this idea that tech is going to solve everything. And then if we have um, all the youth online getting involved, uh, you know, it, everything's going to be okay. And actually that's not the case. And there's a significant proportion of people. And like you were saying, Rachel, outside of London, especially that don't have access um, to this tech and don't have access to these kinds of conversations. Um, just before I get into some more of my questions. I just also say also another thing that I think that I've got concerns about is the rise of like so-called fake news. There's a lot of like misinformation, mm-hmm. particularly during um, COVID being put out there. And it's getting increasingly difficult through social media channels to identify what is true and what isn't what isn't true. Um, I've seen things that are popping up where people have said, this is what the government has said. I saw it happen during the general election, actually, um, in various um, groups about stuff that was being said about what I stood for and things like that that weren't true. And I think as well as it's so great that people are engaged in in social media, there is a very dangerous element that is out there that I think we're so far behind the gap in terms of addressing that. Uh, And that's, I think, seen what's happened in America with the rise of Trump, um, essentially because of a lot of like incorrect information that's gone out there. And so I think these are the things that we need to look at mitigating. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. I think, you know, like like you were saying, uh, fake news is a huge issue and it and digital literacy and digital access need to go hand in hand and how people can identify fake news. Um, yeah, before I go into the next few questions, um, anyone who is watching this live, please feel free to jot down your questions as well, because we're going to go into um, your questions in just a moment. So 
we talked a lot about political moments in this conversation. We've talked about like general elections. We've kind of touched on the referendum. We've we've even branched out to the US and their election. Um, but something that I think about all the time and I don't really have a great answer for and, and something that I'd love to have um, your insight on is how we can engage with youth beyond a political moment. So we're really great at organizing around the referendum. We're really great at organizing around an election. Um, you know, even when we look at the summer with the Black Lives Matter movement after the murder of George Floyd, there was an incredible movement around that. How can we sustain political um, moments beyond, um, you know, a date, beyond an event? I'd say that I am a little bit biased in that my website does focus on elections and it is, does get busy around elections. So naturally that's where our focus happens to be. But we also have information about kind of alternative political engagement around petitions, starting your own campaign. I think like if you look at people like Marcus Rashford, people want to know how they can emulate that. They might have an issue they really care about and they want to know how they can really get see change themselves and start their own campaign. So we have information about that. And it's definitely something that I think um, I personally um, should promote more on our website and, and do more. But I will I'll let Messi and um, say more because I know he does a lot of stuff outside of election cycles. Yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, it's about how do you create a conversation and actually like, the question is this, the question is, is how do we live in a society where essentially you live in an inclusive society where, you know, you have, you have co-create solutions to the biggest challenges that you face and who are, you know, how is power distributed? I think that's the key thing. I think once you understand that actually citizens should have a bigger role in shaping politics and society, then obviously then that from it then derives some um, sort of engagement. The problem is, is obviously, you know, as you say, young people are in many ways treated like a boxing day cell. You know, they, when it comes around to sort of the elections, it's like, oh, well, let's engage with young people. Let's take a couple of pictures, pop it, pop it on our social media um, and then great. And then after that, it's just like, I know this as an organization, you go to speak to the same MPs or to the same ministers who, who've done those things. And then it'll be like, oh, well, they're not really that interested in talking to you about the actual issues that impact young people. Um, and today we saw, for example, there was a collective of 100 youth organisations uh, which asked the government to stand with their, um, their commitment to a, uh, a £500 million uh, youth fund that they committed to, which they never obviously um, uh, sort of saw through. What I would say is, is how do you create a culture where we kind of, um, at a very local level, so let's think about, you know, I think we need to, it's very difficult to think, think of this on a national level, but I think we need to bring it down very local um, and think about how do we get to a position where, for example, like where I'm a councillor, my local council is working with different groups of people to actually build policy, but do it in a way where it's not like, you know, too jargony or you have to think about the language barriers that, um, that we use, where we're having these discussions. So the democracy cafes that I mentioned are obviously one um, way of engagement, uh, but I'm sure there's many others. Like, again, I come from a footballing background where I used to be a scout for Arsenal and Southampton, a much more glamorous career than what I, I, I do now don't ask why I chose um, politics instead of that but um, football clubs have uh, community foundations and they engage with loads of you know thousands of uh, young boys and girls around particularly around sort of um, employability skills and uh, particularly around volunteering opportunities and like being able to kind of you know tap into networks like that uh, where we're able to sort of create those conversations and um, talking about politics in different ways again like you know we don't, every time we talk about issues in the community or whatever it is, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, like let's sit down and talk about this in, a, in, in what, the sort of the formats that we know, but some people express themselves through, you know, like through music, through poetry, through, through different ways. And how do we kind of think about, when we think about consultation, again, at a very local level, I always say this to my offices, like for the council, but it's like, they'll be like, oh, we've got this great idea, which obviously we want to consult residents on. Okay, so how are we going to consult residents? Uh, we're going to send out a survey to every single household you know and it's like it's the same old tactic and obviously what we know with those surveys is the same type of people fill it in and send it back when my mum's when my mum receives those surveys what she thinks is it's an advert and then she throws it in the bin so that's the difference you know and it's like how do we actually like engage um people like my mum for example who wouldn't just look at a form who she can't you know she she comes from a small village in Cyprus and not to say when you're from small but she didn't go to have education so she can't read um, English so when she looks at that she's already like you know already one nil down because she can't even uh, fill in the form so how do you create conversations with people like my mum or people who as I say who don't even have the time to engage in that process um, I, 
think that's the big thing that we have to do. But absolutely, Kabuja, I think you're absolutely right. This has to be an ongoing conversation. I think more and more funders are starting to recognize that and hence the existence of organizations like My Life, My Stay, um, because we don't just obviously focus on um, voter registration. Uh, but yeah, there's lots of different ways. I don't think there's one way. I, I actually think just, build, sorry, Mete, just building on what you said, I think that's also very true when you look at things like select committees. And I'd actually be really interested to hear what Abina thinks about this. Like it's always the same people that get called to give evidence to select committees. They never hear from ordinary people because the process to give evidence to select committees in written form is overcomplicated. If it was really easy for me to share my experience about a particular issue with a select committee, then more people might actually be called in front of them, like actual people that have had um, expertise in these areas and have um, their lives affected by the decisions made by select committees, for example. Um, so I think that generally as a starting point, I think that um, usually political parties tend to base engagement or look at how they're gonna win elections based on who comes out to vote. And I feel that if there's perception that, you know, 18 and under, obviously they can't vote, um, and so I feel that's part of the reason why there's always been that lack of kind of engagement. And it's one of the things that I'm trying to kind of change the narrative on. I'd say that um, in the last few months, I've been contacted by actually loads of young people. Um, I think that what's happened in COVID has actually um, energized people's voices because they're being impacted in a massive way. So I've been contacted by loads of young people that were concerned about the suspension of free travel um, for under 18s, which is um, basically that's down to the government cutting TfL's budget. And I'll say that um, the government has done a U-turn on this um, due to the fact that so many young people have been campaigning about it and to talk about how it has impacted them and working closely with Child Poverty Action Group on this. Um, Black Lives Matter movement, I've been contacted by loads of people um, concerned about Black Lives Matter and the um, black curriculum as well in terms of diversifying um, their voices and I think it's about making sure you retain the dialogue with those individuals so people that wrote to me about um, Black Lives Matter why I organised an event um, uh, a panel discussion to try and like um, to talk about this issue and it's making sure you continue that conversation not just during election time but for the next few years um, and I think that um, in terms of like um, young people, they're so um, engaged when I've gone and spoken to them, environment, they have so many policy ideas, like when I've spoken to them about how things could be done differently at a political level. So what I've tried to do is um, raise those questions in parliament, um, talk about people's real life stories to show that I am listening to them. Like Rachel has said, with the select committees, you don't always get people um, that is um, essentially talking about from real life experiences. So I used to sit on the housing and select committee. Um, we try to make sure, um, so you have the, the officers that will make recommendations in terms of speakers. And then on the committee, um, I would always try to make sure that um, I could um, recommend people so they're not necessarily just all white speakers, um, because I think it's really important that you have diversity is important. And interestingly, in the select committees, I think um, we have a real issue in terms of diversity, in terms of like ethnic diversity on chairs, there isn't any, um, it's very kind of like um, um, male dominated as well. Um, and I think the whole structure process really, really needs to change. And it's not just from the top down, it's also from the um, staffing level as well, because they're the ones that are gonna be coming up with recommendations in terms of speakers. I should suggest, even though the system isn't perfect as it is at the moment, is also writing to those select committees. If you've got something that you want to say or you feel that you should be given evidence, I really honestly think that um, you should be putting yourselves out there. And whilst I recognise that the system needs to change, I think this is the best approach um, that could be done in the interim. And you know, a lot of us do recognise that it's not perfect because we've seen the outputs that have been made at decision level which has basically alienated so many young people, um, so many um, ethnic minorities and so many women as well. And, and I'm concerned we're moving backwards instead of forwards, um, but yeah. Brilliant. Just one, one thing I'll quickly add to that as well about like sort of, um, just to build on, on your point as well, 
when when we were talk, when you were saying earlier about for example like how to sort of you know like their, their ideas around policy i mean i think one thing to understand is as well that you know to make pop like an impact have an impact on politics you don't have to necessarily be in politics or to be a politician i think there are there are some people like if you ask me honestly where would you feel like you've had a bigger impact from my life my say or for being a counselor i'll probably tell you my life my say if i had to pick one um because of the barriers that you know even when you're an elected official there are a whole set of other barriers that <laughs> that comes with it um which obviously is a, dis a discussion for another time. But one of the things that, um, like, I think how businesses, like when we look, when we talk about, for example, the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, like, for example, looking at how, like, you know, businesses, what role do businesses play in building a social, social inclusion and a much more inclusive society? The same thing around sort of like the civil society as well. Um, and what I would say around that is, is like, you know, I've been kind of, uh, I sit on a couple of boards, like the Global Fund for Children, uh, the World Humanitarian Forum, etc., and you know, one of the things um, when they when they all come and say, oh, well, look, the easy thing to do is just let's create a youth board, and you know, let's just like give young people a voice. Um, I'm like sort of the person on the board's like, no, no, you can't do that. You know, you need to make sure that if you are going to do that, then what power are you going to give them within the structures? Is it just a talking shop, or are you going to give them a budget and say, actually, here's how your 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 voices are going to help shape something within the organization or are you going to get them to work in a committee um so i think there are lots of different ways to do it and i think one of the things that we should always remember is is that impacting uh people's day-to-day -day life is not just limited by what we sort of know in sort of like as in, in politics you can do it in lots of different ways brilliant thank you so much for your input um on all of these questions i think each of you have excellent insight um, in your own fields. Um, and I've definitely learned a lot and I hope that everyone watching as well has learned lots. Um, I'm just looking at the Q&A at the moment and we've got some excellent questions um, and I wanna get through as many as possible and we've got about eight minutes. So I'm gonna give you a couple of questions at a time. Um, so I'm gonna start off with a question from Fatima here. Um, and she says, it's clear that the gap between youth attitudes and those of older voters has grown from the Iraq war to student tuition fees to immigration to Brexit. Despite this, older voters consistently have a much higher turnout than young voters. What incentive is there for politicians who benefit from this older vote to get young people to the polls? We've also got another question here from Charlie. Um, he asks, how do we transform online youth political engagement into traditional forms of political engagement? So voting. Um, to realize material political change. And a third one as well, I'm gonna chuck in <laughs> just for time, is do you think online voting might increase youth turner vote out? And can we utilize things like postal votes to get a higher turnout? Three questions for you all, <laughs> three panelists and about seven minutes. <laughs> Who wants to start us off? You don't have to answer all three as well. If you feel like you wanna answer just one, that's totally fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to the end. No, let, let's go with Abina. She's not got first. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I was just going to say, in terms of the, the whole thing about getting um, older politicians who benefit from the older vote, it's one of the, like the things that made me start the website in, in the first place. Voting Counts, our, our original website, literally had the stat for young people turning out, and it and the stat for over sixty fives, and said, "Well, who do you think politicians listen to? If all of their votes." Are coming from over 75s they're going to start listening to the over 75s it is inherently how the system works whether it rightly or wrongly that's how it works so i think it is really important to whilst engaging people with non-traditional forms of political engagement which really can have a big impact the traditional getting your vote out on election day is still important and i think that's what i'm trying to do is trying to convince people that voting is still important, even if they live in a safe seat, even if they don't agree with any of the options on the ballot paper, you getting out and just increasing the turnout is just one really easy thing you can do. Um, yeah, I'll let. Neto. You're on mute. <laughs> do you want me to go next, Avanel? Do you want to go? Yeah, next? I don't mind going at the end. It's fine. You can I'll do let the, you guys... the, 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 the finish on behalf of all of us. Um, online voting, 100% yes. I think, you know, I always say if you could trust your finances online, why on earth can't you trust your um, your voting online? And what I would say just in relation to that is if you're, if you're strongly objected to online voting, then 
you know, the issue we have in the UK is obviously uh, voting is not a public holiday. It's a working day and it's very outdated. You still have to vote in your local polling station. Um, so I think what we need to do is we need to figure out how we can make voting more inclusive. So maybe move it to a weekend, maybe make, make it a public, uh, public holiday, maybe make it over two days where you give enough time for people to vote because obviously if it's a very, very cold, wet Thursday night, um, you may not necessarily, after work, you may not necessarily be too attracted to go to uh, the polls. So I think we definitely need to look at electoral reform in terms of um, how people vote. Um, in terms of the question around, Fatima's question is really good, um, really good about the um, intergenerational divide. Um, and I think that's a huge issue that we're dealing with, um, dealing with both in the UK, the West. You see that in the US, for example. And also what I would add to that as well is the urban-rural divide. Um, so those between, you know, like Rachel was talking about the difference of people in London to outside. And when you speak to people outside of London, particularly during the referendum as well, people feel cheated. People feel like there's a sense of resentment towards, um, again, like all these opportunities for people in London, not necessarily for us. And that's true for a lot of different parts um, of the world. And you start to see that playing out. I think what I would say is, is ultimately um, what, what incentive is there for those who benefit from the older vote what i would say to them is obviously eventually what will happen is is that younger generation will start to get eligible to vote and they will obviously start being the electorate and you know some of them may not necessarily forget some of the bad things that have been done and some of the events we've gone through recently you know be it covid be it you know i don't think anyone's going to forget covid and sort of the mishandling of it or you know brexit we're still waiting to see what how that's going to be playing out as well so what i would say is is you know that sort of attitude you know works maybe short term but long term I'm not sure, sure it's a great idea to sort of just kind of, uh, you know, like as a politician, you seek to, obviously you have a strategy and your strategy will be, okay, let's turn out those who, you know, who are most likely to vote for you, but it shouldn't be to just, you know, like, okay, well, forget everyone else, you know, and I'm never going to engage with them. Um, I think it's important that it's, it's important in their long-term interest as well to engage with those groups. Yeah, um, I agree with those points. I think that um, I'm very much in favor of online voting um, but I also think political education is really important as well. Um, and also um, registering people to vote. I think that's really important, particularly young people. I think also, um, I think part of the barriers is that I think, um, particularly because I'm Labour Party, I think we need to talent spot more to try and get more young people to stand for public office. Um, so we can make sure that um, the conversations are very kind of relevant and it's not just addressed to a particular demographic of individuals. And I'm not saying like bringing young people as a tokenistic kind of gesture. I just think that they would have a lot more voices to add to the table in terms of conversations that aren't discussed. I do think political processes need to be reformed, particularly local government. I think that the way that the meetings are done, um, um, it alienates a lot of people. I think that um, one of the things I'm particularly concerned is it's um, what we're going to see is an older demographic of people becoming counsellors um, because the case workload is a lot higher. Um, most people to be able to do it, you have to have a full time job. And if you're a young person having a full time job, being a counsellor and um, making sure you're on top of all your cases can be a massive challenge. And I'm worried that we're going to see it's mainly just kind of retired people that have, or people that are financially secure um, that can afford to take that kind of risk. So we really need to reform the whole political process, particularly local government. When you look at when I was a councillor, when I used to look around the room at the people that used to members of public that used to come to meetings, I didn't really see any young people. I mainly saw occasionally, if we were lucky, someone from the new shopper or um, some blogger. Um, and it, was, it wasn't a particularly young demographic of individuals. Why would they come to a local council to watch us play and turning our hair out of each other, political point scoring? I don't think those kind of like um, setups kind of work. And um, it's something that's really kind of um, annoyed me because most of the, um, the effective decisions I was able to do wasn't actually at full council meetings. It was actually um, when I met with people in the community, going to save a neighborhood team meetings, going to community wards, doing stuff on the committees, those kind of, um, that's where you're able to make most of the kind of like radical kind of changes. Um, and so I think all those processes need to be kind of looked at hand in hand. And there has to be a real political appetite to change it because there are, let's be honest, people that it works for them, why would they change it? 
Um, and so these things will take time, um, but they need to take, they need to happen for the processes to be a lot more fairer. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you so much for all of your insights. Um, I hope people watching this and eventually listening to this on the podcast as well are just as inspired as I am. We've talked about reform, we've talked about voting, we've talked about keeping up the momentum. Um, and all of these topics are, are so present and, and you know things that we can definitely take away beyond this call. Um, so thank you so much for all our panelists for joining us this evening. I know um, a lot of thank us you. are out, but you've yeah. given us so many beautiful insights. Um, and like I said, I'm so excited to continue this conversation. Um, for people watching as well, if you really enjoyed this event, please um, make sure you use the hashtag WebRootsFest and join us for the rest of the events this week. But other than that, that's all from us this evening. Thank you so I much. Say something. Of course you can. You just like say how amazing your chairing's been. Oh, yeah. stop. <laughs> I'm learning chairing from the inspiring leaders, right? We, we're it's talking easy to chair. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, but yeah, oh, now I'm blushing, see? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, thank you so much for your time. Um, and thank you for everyone who tuned in as well. And we will hopefully see you for some more events this week. <laughs>